AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And today we are joined again by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, as we are going to be talking about some of the stories that they have been working on, including off-duty Minneapolis police officers being hired at small businesses around Minneapolis. We'll also be talking about Justice Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett's visit to the University of Minnesota last night. But before we get to all of those, uh, happy to welcome Patrick back to the show. Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on. Always a pleasure, Brett. Absolutely. So before we get into those stories, let's talk a little bit about the big vote today for House Speaker, because Jim Jordan, the Republican who was running for House Speaker, came up uh, just short of being able to be named Speaker. But what I'm curious about, at least from the local angle, is, well, A, how did our four Republican Congress people vote And then, B, could Tom Emmer potentially now enter the speaker's race since his name was potentially floated before? And now that Jim Jordan has at least failed for now, maybe Emmer becomes a possible contender. So what were your overall thoughts on what happened with the the vote today with Jim Jordan? Well, uh, House Republicans uh, continue to be a chaotic group that can't seem to get their act together. Um, All four of our uh, Minnesota uh, Republican members uh, voted for Jordan, uh, so they're not in the uh, 20 or so uh, holdouts. Uh, you mentioned Tom Emmer. I think he's uh, pretty broadly liked in the in that uh, conf- in the Republican conference. He uh, is currently the majority whip. That's the number three spot. Uh, he's had, uh, I think, has been running for majority leader. One of the drawbacks he has is that even though he was an early backer of President, uh, former President Donald Trump, uh, he has created some distance there uh, in recent years, particularly by voting to uh, affirm the election results in 2020. Um, and when you have um, the, the president, of course, being the, the likely nominee, um, it's hard to imagine um, that you'd have uh, a, a Speaker of the House, uh, third in line of the presidency, um, who disagrees uh, with such a fundamental part of the Trump um, persona and campaign. That is, the 20 election was stolen from him, that uh, millions of Republican voters still believe. So I think that uh, would be a bit of a problem for him. He would have to patch that up with Trump. Um, but... Uh, you know, in a more rational world, he's a he, uh, he, he's a proven fundraiser. He was head of the Republican election, House Republican election effort uh, that did very well, um, certainly in, in 2020, um, and actually picked up seats, uh, which was a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, so he'll still be certainly uh, somebody to watch um, as events move forward. Yeah, 10 years ago, I wouldn't necessarily say he would have been a shoo-in, but he certainly would have had a much easier path, while someone like Jim Jordan probably would not have had a chance whatsoever. But, well, those are the political times we are now in here in 2023. Well, want to move on to another local story you guys have been working on over at The Reformer, and Dina Winter has been doing some awesome reporting on this. And this has to do with small business owners that are saying that they're being pressured to hire off-duty Minneapolis Police Department officers for security at their places of business. Now, one of the people Dina had a chance to speak with was Maya Santamaria. Uh, She was the owner of El Nuevo Rodeo, which is significant because that's where Derek Chauvin worked private security for a number of years, along actually with George Floyd. 
So talking about this right now, I, I want to talk about some of the allegations that are being made from some of these small business owners basically being basically saying that they're being pressured to hire police officers in order to have security at their places. But before we dive into all of that, I, I'm kind of curious how these off-duty police programs typically work in Minneapolis. Can the city basically force businesses to hire off-duty police officers? Just give us kind of an overall view about how this system works, because this is something I'm not familiar with, at least in terms of how this works when you have a small business hiring off-duty officers. Yeah, some businesses, um, for instance, like large nightclubs, are uh, required by the city to have security. Um, and, until 2020, uh, dur- the, during the, the George Floyd, after the George Floyd murder, um, the, the city could force you to hire these off-duty um, Minneapolis police officers. They can also require uh, that the organizers of big events um, and that businesses that have a lot of 911 calls they also um, can be forced to hire um, off-duty MPD officers. Uh, now, businesses can also do so voluntarily, and I think that's um, what we saw here, um, where businesses felt like it wasn't very voluntary at all, that actually they were being forced into it. Um, so some other aspects from the, from the city management side, the city doesn't really have access to the contracts, um, they don't really have a great way of tracking it. So you end up with officers working lots of off-duty hours and then also working lots of on-duty hours and, um, you know, certainly fears that this could lead to fatigue and fatigue is exactly uh, what leads to the kind of uh, mistakes um, and, and officer misconduct that we've seen, uh, unfortunately, so much of. They, they're using uh, city uh, vehicles, city equipment, uh, they, they are insured by the city during this off-duty work. So uh, you can see there's all kinds of uh, problems uh, right off the, the get-go in the way this is, is being managed. And that's before we get to um, some of the allegations that are in the story. Yeah, and they're also, which we'll get into as well, they're, the, some of these off-duty officers are making a pretty significant sum of money when it comes to the hourly rate that they're charging. But let's even dive into what some of these police officers do or what their work entails, because as Santa Maria talks about, the police at her nightclub were often, well, doing other things and sometimes not even physically being at the nightclub as they were uh, at times going and answering other police calls. Or we also had uh, Basim Sabri, who is the owner of the Somali mall called a Carmel Mall and a Latino Mall called Plaza Mexico on Lake Street, where he said about six weeks ago a man came into his office with a gun and said he was going to shoot someone. They called 911, but the police never came, and that's despite the fact that Sabri said he had paid for an off-duty uh, police officer. So uh, this, to me, this doesn't really sound like they're providing a lot of security if these off-duty officers, which oftentimes these small businesses are paying hundreds of dollars an hour for, and then you don't even have the cops even physically at the place, even though, well, they're being paid. This kind of seems like, for lack of a better way of putting it, like kind of one of those things you would hear in mobster movies where the mafia would say to a business, well, you need to pay us X amount of money or something really bad could end up happening to your business. Not necessarily we're saying we're quite going in that direction, but there are some parallels there if you're uh, at times not even having these officers on site when they're being paid. Yeah, I don't think we want to uh, engage in a, a defamatory accusation of a crime being committed, but uh, certainly it 
does have a whiff of uh, extortion is what you're, I think, what you're referring yeah. to here. And certainly the small businesses have said that the, they were under the strong impression that if they did not hire these uh, off-duty officers, um, there was no guarantee that they could get uh, really adequate service in the case of a 911 call. And uh, there was a, certainly a discour- an encouragement um, that hiring officers would, would lead to better service from the police. Um, it's obviously not what we uh, want from um, a, a democratic uh, policing, and um, and it's especially uh, problematic when um, a number of the small businesses they say that it, that they feel like they're being targeted because they're immigrants um, or they're people of color, and of course this goes to the heart of what the uh, the problems at the Minneapolis Police Department that have been thoroughly investigated. Uh, by the State Department of Human Rights as well as the um, U.S. Department of Justice, both found the pattern and practice of, of racist uh, policing, and and in fact, this set up the off-duty uh, work and the problems with it um, were mentioned in the DOJ report that came out uh, this summer, uh, rather glancingly, and at the end of the report and mostly as a way to talk about problems with, with, uh, with management that the off-duty jobs create. Um, and what they're referring to specifically is that somehow there's a handful of officers who, who get to sort of control these jobs. And um, so it gives those guys quite a bit of influence in the department, and it applies to their own supervisors. So um, if you're a supervisor and your underling controls these lucrative off-duty jobs, well, that's probably going to change, even unconsciously, it might change how you manage that person. So that's what was in the DOJ report. Um, and, um, I mean, we've been sort of aware of this. Um, I became aware of it before we launched in early 2020, and, and we've been interested in this for a while. And that DOJ report really kind of, sparked our interest, and, and we decided, let's take a harder look at this. And I think what Dina found is, is pretty uh, pretty alarming. Well, the other red flag to fi- that I found with this as well is that uh, oftentimes these off-duty officers are being paid with cash, which raises a number of red flags, not only for, well, tax purposes, but also for corruption as well, where things are, when you're not documenting things and paying with cash, yeah, there, there can be a lot of problems that arise. And, uh, and that's certainly what Dina was mentioning in the article as well. Right. I mean, until cryptocurrency came along, cash was how uh, <laughs> criminal transactions uh, generally took place. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, and Derek Tobin is a perfect example he was getting a lot of these off-duty, off-duty jobs. He was not reporting the cash income, and uh, he was convicted of of, uh, of tax evasion um, by the state of Minnesota. Um, and and I think that uh, insofar as these uh, these off-duty jobs are being paid in cash, I think that's a a real problem. Um, and because then, I mean, in addition to the the, the tax issue, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, if you're the owner of a club. And you'd rather that the police look the other way on certain activities that are happening in the club or in the parking lot because um, you don't want to draw any extra attention. Um, well, you know, how much, how hard is it to just, instead of paying 150 in cash, oh, no, I'm going to pay $200 an hour in cash. 
Um, and um, so, yeah, it, it creates certainly uh, temptations I don't think anybody needs. Um, it's it's just the whole thing just seems rife with uh, with um, bad uh, uh, potential outcomes and and seems to be terribly mismanaged. And unfortunately, uh, another thing that Dean has discovered is that it's going to be very hard to to get any change made. Yeah, let's dive a little bit more into that. That's where I wanted to go next because I think there's a lot of agreement that this system needs to change, but it sounds like there was a 1997 court ruling, which is probably going to hamper many of these efforts since it sounds like you would almost need to, well, not almost, you would need to renegotiate your police union contract to make any changes to these off-duty policies, correct? Right. So in in the 90s, former mayor Sharon Sales-Belton tried to get the, the system under the city's control, and there was a, a court injunction that said this is part of the collective bargaining agreement, um, and so any changes to it are going to have to be negotiated. Um, and, of course, <clears throat> the union is, uh, especially now with the, the shortage of officers, and although crime has started to float back down, and there was that spike that started during the pandemic, and so the city officials are really on edge about public safety. Um, it's, it's a big issue in the media and, and, and in politics and in, for average people, um, especially in, in a few neighborhoods. And so they're mostly concerned uh, with giving incentives to keep officers here and recruit officers here, um, not, trying to get, uh, not, not trying to get negotiating wins with the union. So anything they, they try to any anything they try to do to get control of this off duty system, they're gonna have to give up a lot. Uh, meaning uh, you know, if if you want fewer officers working these off duty shifts, you're gonna have to pay them more in overtime. And of course the the city's not um, particularly flush right now and uh, and I don't think the voters uh, I don't think they want um, to be paying police officers more given the performance of the department um, and the uh, all of the the negative attention uh, that has been uh, that the department has received and and rightfully so so I think that's a tough ask to go out to the voters and say well we've got this kind of badly mismanaged maybe corrupt off-duty system but we're gonna fix it by paying police a lot more yeah, that's a tough sell, and it doesn't necessarily fit in a bumper sticker when you explain the nuance of, well, why you're going to be paying them more. I think, yeah, you're right. Then most people will say, well, why are we paying the police more? They don't deserve that. And when, yeah, there's a little bit more to it when it comes to this off-duty program. So you're right. It's probably going to be uh, very difficult to uh, reform the system, unfortunately. We only had time just to scratch the surface on this, but uh, I encourage you to check out Dina's writing. Small business owners say they're pressured to hire off-duty Minneapolis Police Department officers for security. Check it out over at minnesotareformer.com, as there's also some parallels to what happened with the New Orleans Police Department when they went through this as well, which you can check out over in Dina's article. Uh, One more piece of news to talk about with you today, and that has to do with Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who was at the University of Minnesota last night speaking. And she made some interesting comments about the uh, SCOTUS possibly having a code of conduct. There was also uh, some disruption from protesters. So um, what were your thoughts on what happened last night with Amy Coney Barrett here in the Twin Cities? Anything of note happen outside of uh, 
obviously her making some comments on the code of conduct and then having the protesters. Uh, tell us a bit about what happened last night with uh, with came Amy Coney Barrett in town. Sure, uh, Michelle Griffith, um, our reporter, uh, was there, and um, you know, I, I think what's uh, interesting about you mentioned the code of conduct of this follows. Uh, a whole series of investigations by the the investigative nonprofit outlet called ProPublica, in which they've uh, revealed uh, a lot of gifts and um, and other gratuities, I guess I'd call them, um, that have gone to Supreme Court justices who who've never uh, reported those gifts. Clarence Thomas is uh, the most notable one, um, and. Um, it certainly has marred the institution, and I think, you know, based on what uh, Amy Coney Barrett said, I think there's probably a recognition amongst the justices that uh, the to protect the legitimacy of the court and its reputation, um, they're going to have to make um, some changes. It's only cosmetic, um, and it's just a reminder how uh, this uh, institution, which I think for some decades has um, sold itself and, and the media has done a poor job of really buying into this as a kind of uh, really ultimate um, ivory tower, uh, a place that is uh, free of um, political and financial influence and that kind of thing where uh, these very wise people in robes um, spend hours thinking through these uh, difficult legal um, complexities, um, whereas in reality, it's nine people getting together and making mm-hmm. a decision about a law, um, and uh, and there's of course going to be politics around that. Um, so um, you know, and there, there was an interruption. Uh, apparently, it only lasted a couple of minutes, um, and um, you know they got their point across. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly glad that the University of Minnesota Law School is something they do every year. They did not do it during the, during the pandemic, but I think it's a, a great service, even if you disagree with the, the justice in this case. You can read more about that over at minnesotareformer.com with Amy Coney Barrett's visit to the University of Minnesota last night. We have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Again, make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com to check out all of the great reporting they do. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.